I'm Tyler Hake, and you're listening to Season 1, Episode 7 of Next Story Up, a smart building services podcast by Schneider Electric. Act 1, The Seamless Experience. As we open the penultimate episode of Season 1, I've come to realize that the more stories we've collected throughout these conversations, the easier it's gotten for me to connect the main points back to one another, and the more joy I've gotten out of doing so. Last week, at the very end of the discussion with Trish Starkey, after the interview was over and the final music played, we learned in our outro that one thing she and I have in common is that when we travel out of town, we reference Eater to see where we should grab lunch or dinner. If you think it's surprising that she and I connected over food, you probably shouldn't. Food connects all of us all the time in many ways, and eating is one thing that I could rest assured Trish and I both do with some predictable regularity. It turns out that this is a fun concept to play with. As humans, you can project out my assumption that Trish and I both eat and scale it out to everyone on Earth, except for, some might argue, the biohackers in Silicon Valley who are down to only drinking Soylent, their loss. Eating then connects all of us, from the very young to the very old. My guest today, Jana Gerber, who also happens to be my new boss, certainly eats just as I do and just as her kids do. You, my listener, might be eating right now as you listen to this very podcast. We can all think of certain foods that make us feel better when we're feeling down, or that we've learned to love when we were a child and can make in a pinch, or that we had on a special date, and so on and so forth. Food is essential and intimate in these ways to all of us. It's also, interestingly enough, something that makes us proud and unique, cuisines that is. While we all must eat and all ultimately receive the same benefits and experiences, different types of food can help different cultures connect and bond with one another over common methods and tactics. This brings people together and illustrates their differences. For instance, I was recently in Mexico City and on a few occasions, I saw Eskimol on the menu. Eskimol is ant larva. I have no interest in eating that, but the fabulous citizens of Mexico City love it, and I can't exactly say that my beloved American ballpark hot dog is any less bizarre. When you think about the rich tapestry of this globe, you're bound to think of food right among the first thoughts you have about a particular place. In the U.S., you might think lobster rolls in New England, steak in Texas, barbecue in Kansas City, deep dish pizza in Chicago, and french fries on sandwiches in my esteemed hometown of Pittsburgh, PA, or sliced pizza and bagels in my new hometown of New York City. You might think baguettes in France, red sauce pasta in Italy, sushi in Japan, and curries in India, and all of this makes the world a much more interesting, fun, and exciting place with reasons for culinary pride in every city and every country. The variety you can experience with food is also why Eater exists and why Trish and I got to bond. Not just because we have to eat, because it's fun and we like to explore. Now, you might think that this is where the fun and pulling apart the similarities and differences in food ends. We're the same in that we like to eat, we're different in that we like to eat different things. But that's not where it ends, my friends. That's only where it begins. Because we are also the same in that we love to eat the same things, only differently, and that's astonishingly fun. Take, for example, the ravioli and the xiaolongbao soup dumpling. These are different foods in that they are very clearly of Italy and of China, but they're also very much the same in that they are pouches of dough with filling inside them. And you know what else? 
So are pierogi from Poland. So are samosas from India. The Russians have pelmeni. In the U.S., we have chicken and dumpling soup, which is not very much like any of those others. Wontons are pouches of dough filled with stuff that are standard seamless orders. In Turkey, there are manti. In Korea, there are mandu. They're different, but also called mandu in Afghanistan. And I know this because of one of my favorite local restaurants in Astoria. Nepalese momos are delicious. You may have had shumai before. The list goes on. Please, what have I left out? Let me know in the comments so I can try something new. The point is, every one of these foodstuffs is unique to their global and cultural origin, yet all of them are the same in basic specification, which is putting something delicious in a pouch to be eaten. And at the end of the day, isn't that all any of us want? If we've learned anything from this series, other than the fact that no metaphor scares me, it's that as buildings become more digital and software-oriented, they are better suited to enable the desired outcomes and experiences of their occupants. But of course, while all humans have pretty predictable desired outcomes when it comes to comfort, most of us like to be neither too hot nor too cold, most of us like to have enough light to see, etc., not all buildings are constructed for the same desired outcome and occupant experience. The desired outcomes that drive the goals for how to serve an occupant of an office building, a residential building, an elementary school, a hotel, a data center, an airport, and a hospital are actually quite different. But the inhabitants, people like you and I with our evolved preferences, remain the same. How do we use our building systems to optimize the results of those goals in every different type of building segment? And how different or unique are the demands and outcomes in each? I asked these questions of our next guest. Jana Gerber describes herself as someone who builds better business outcomes and experiences constructed by people and solutions. I mean, come on, how perfect is that for this topic? She is the Vice President of Building Segments Business Development for U.S. Schneider Digital Energy. When I inquired with Jana about how I could best introduce her today, she requested that I share the Schneider Electric core values that we use to guide the way we work and act because they best reflect her professional mindset. These lighthouse values are being customer first, daring to disrupt, embracing different, learning every day, and acting like owners. I can tell you from personal experience, not a bad philosophy, and well reflected in our next guest's work. We speak with Jana Gerber in Act Two. Act Two. The purpose of life is to live it, to taste experience to the utmost, to reach out eagerly and without fear for newer and richer experience. Eleanor Roosevelt. And with that, let's dive right into our discussion with Jana. How did you know that food was a perfect topic? Why is this a perfect topic for you? I love to cook. So, you know, I love the idea of taking what you have in the fridge or the pantry and trying to figure out what kind of masterpiece you can make with those things. So it's all about the creative outlet and something that allows me to kind of just step back and relax and really kind of disconnect, but then be able to engage and spend time with my kids or my husband or who's ever involved in the creation of the meal. Do your kids get in the kitchen with you and cook? Yes. So one of our 
big things to cook together is banana bread. It's probably one of our favorites. But then Chloe is a little bit more, my oldest, Chloe, my oldest, is a little bit more adventurous. And the one thing that's kind of her thing is we make a Caesar salad. And I taught her how to make the Caesar dressing. So it's like, Chloe, tonight's Caesar salad. And she's like, okay, she gets out the bowl and all the ingredients and gets it all mixed and going. So she loves participating like that as well. But yeah, so that's why I say this is a perfect topic. And then at first I was like, okay, where's he going with all this dumpling (laughs) stuff, you know? And then I was like, okay, now I get it. (laughs) I'm a mad scientist. Uh, So on the topic of the dumplings that I mentioned in the intro, do you have a favorite style of, you know, air quotes dumpling? Well, I did have to tell you, you missed two. Ooh, please. Um, Two of my two favorite ones. So empanadas. And so those are kind of the mixture of everything inside of the dough. And it's more of a baked or deep fried type of a dumpling than the others. But the other that is one of also my favorites is gnocchi. So the Italian potato dumplings. Yeah. They're delicious. But I would still have to say my absolute favorite type of dumpling is goizas and just the soup dumpling type thing. There's this place here in Dallas called the Royal China. They are to die for. I love those. Those are definitely my favorite. I'm kicking myself over missing empanadas. That's embarrassing and humiliating (laughs) (laughs) because they're so good. They are so good. Uh, yeah. And they're popping up as far as stores around town or across the nation now, too. Yeah. Oh, that's great. No, that's that, that's really cool. Obviously, that was a winding metaphor for me to make in the beginning about dumplings. But the idea was you can cater to different types of traditions and cultures by doing the same thing over and over. Do you believe that building automation, and in particular, the digitization of buildings, is enabling a better ability for us to cater to our customers' desires? And if so, how? No, I think it absolutely is between the digitization and really truly the Internet of Things, I would say, as well in that. It allows for that connection of all the systems to really drive unknown value to how we interact in the spaces that we're in, whether that's a hotel or a data center or a hospital or a school. Each of those different folks in those different spaces have a different objective of what they're doing and why they're in that space. And then how they're interacting with that space is so important. So. You know, I absolutely believe that it's helping us get more connected and take things that are typically very back of house and things that people don't always appreciate and connecting it into something that is then driving that experience in that space. So I couldn't agree more. I think, Jenna, honestly, that building automation systems, when I first got into the industry, were kind of, you know, the idea was you're trying to serve all sorts of masters with exactly the same thing. And now that we digitize more, we can get a better understanding for the end users and and what they actually want to do with that data, which is specific to how they use the facility. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll share first a hotel and then translate that into a hospital experience, right? So in hotels, one of the main things is now you're able to check in and automate your reservation and everything and be able to use your phone even as your keypad for your door. And then at that point, when you're checking in and and that's when the system and everything in the rooms turn on so that as you walk into the room, now you're in a space that's comfortable at a set point, electricity and the TV might be on, whatever that looks like. So setting up that gets experience so that when you enter that space, you're immediately comfortable and somewhat relaxed, right? So we actually at Schneider took that same experience and said, okay, well, why don't we do that in hospitals? Oh, cool. So... There was a couple things around code. So in a hospital room, you have to have, you know, seven air exchanges in an hour. But there was a question to the folks driving the code and said, is that really necessary to have the seven air exchanges 
when there's nobody actually in the room. So allowing that change and then having the ability for the building automation systems to communicate through the hospital's Therefore. hospital language seven, which is their kind of their main code or their main language allowing that connection into their admission, discharge, and transfer systems now allows us to create that same experience and really for the patient, but even more so for the hospital that is now able to have those energy savings from that ability to turn back and turn up those air exchanges. That's really cool that you mentioned that that was derived from hospitality experience and that you directly are taking the type of things that you could do in one setting and applying it to what you might do in another. And those are very different settings with different desired outcomes for the people that are in those spaces. That's true, but in both cases, really the driving factor is about comfort. Yep. A hotel, it's comfort of being away from home, and in the hospital, it's about being comfortable and having, I think, also somewhat control of a space where yeah. in the situation, you really have less control of what the doctors and all the procedures and tests and medicine and everything, having some sense of control of that space around you is so important. Yeah, that's very well said. So then do you believe that there is a wide variety in differences for the types of automation systems that must be delivered to facility managers that are operating different types of buildings? Or do you think that there's not a lot of variety there? For the different types of buildings, for the facility manager specifically, yeah. it's more the same of the value that we can deliver, right? So, mm -hmm. And it's really mostly through that digitization aspect that you mentioned earlier. So making sure all the industries are experiencing shortage of labor, skilled labor, Yep. And skilled workers, you know, we've said that the toolbox is no longer the big red one with all their tools in it. <laughs> yeah. It's truly now their phones or their iPads or whatever device that they're carrying. So for them, it's about how do we help them bridge that gap from the toolbox of the old days to the toolbox of now. And that's really all through digitization and taking that data and turning it into something that is actionable and that they can make a decision based on. I've never heard that toolbox, the red toolbox thing that you just said, but I love it and I'm going to steal it. The first, you can. Yeah, I yeah. actually stole it from Jack McCauley, so I can't actually take credit, and I'm sure he probably stole it from somebody else. But Imitation is the highest form of flattery. I think uh, everybody should really pay attention to that one because another really cool point is that the red toolbox is also extremely local and you can't work on anything without having the tools in that box locally. And with digitization, it's allowing us also from a facility manager perspective to get wider arrays of data and connect with remote knowledge, which enables better service and better experiences. I totally agree with that as well. And ability to really kind of tell how one facility is interacting in, in comparison to another or places where you think there could be an opportunity for better efficiency, modernization, or even connectivity. Absolutely. What you're getting to there is benchmarking, which is really great for yep. some customer types, definitely. So I think that there's some standardization then from what you're saying with the facility manager perspective. If we consider the occupant again, do you think that there's a wide variety and differences between what needs to be delivered to occupants in different facility types? Well, I would compare it to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay. So there's the basics, right, of comfort and being able to have turn on or control a space from a temperature perspective or be able to turn on a light, right? So there's that basis of the bottom of the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, how do you really develop and move up those next levels? So maybe we should redevelop the hacks hierarchy of comfort or of IoT, right? So you get up to these levels where you're able to have voice control. That could be like at the very top and the epitome of that area. 
But yeah. if I'm a student or a teacher, what I'm asking for in my space is going to be a different kind of connection and an interoperability than I think I would be asking for in a hotel room. So it, really it's about, you know, the difference of how you use that space. And I do think that for the occupants, the value and the difference in the way we interact with the space is drastic. What you mentioned there about even voice control, immediately you can think of how you would use voice with building automation in different facility types. So there's probably examples in the hospital experience where patients might really benefit from using voice if they have some type of hindrance, and that might be why they're there. But you could also use voice to make your experience better when you're in the hotel room to close the blinds while you're in bed. So yep. you, can, you can use those tools, but for different purposes in different types of customer segments. Absolutely. You know, and one of the things in hospitals is also they can't necessarily predict or control the folks who are coming into their spaces, right, the patients. And yeah. so in some cases, you know, it could be a, somebody who doesn't even speak English as their first language or even understand it. So how do you start to use those spaces from an interoperability again through the systems that are inside of that room, whether that be video or audiovisual type spaces to better interact and provide a better experience for that patient who, again, is at a loss of control of why they're in a hospital versus them choosing to go to a hotel. That's a really, really good point that I don't think I consider very often unless I'm stepping through this specific conversation. So that's a, that's a good thing to learn. Let's start talking about some of these different building segments then. You know, we've mentioned a couple of them. I'd like to maybe dive a little bit deeper into a few of them. So what type of building outcomes need to be delivered for different occupant stakeholders in a hospital facility setting, and who's involved in making those decisions to implement them? Yeah, the building outcomes for the stakeholders in the hospital and some of our experiences on a large project on the East Coast, I mean, it's a very broad and diverse group of stakeholders inside okay. of that hospital and the project setting, right? So you have the project team with the architects, engineers, general contractors, all the folks that are involved in that construction aspect of it. But then when you move into the hospital, you have everybody from the nurses, the doctors, patients who have visited from a stakeholder user group type perspective. You have the IT groups who, again, the case of our systems are often setting on those networks. So how do we ensure that they're comfortable with the cybersecurity and other aspects yeah. surrounding how our systems are implemented? You have obviously the leadership as well, the stakeholders, the CFOs who are paying for this and understanding, well, could I limit some risk by doing these different integrations that allows me to have better visibility or better reaction time? And am I willing to pay that very small amount for that very large support in risk and eliminating or decreasing risk in certain situations? The one that stood out for me is that you mentioned the nurses, because that's obviously unique to a hospital environment. What kind of feedback and interest would they have in the system? For the nurses, it's really about how, again, do they serve their patients better and help them be more comfortable and do the things that the nurse needs to do to do their job. So it could be as simple as in one user group, one of the nurses said, I spend so much time going down to the gift shop to get newspapers for my patients. So through integration and digitization and IoT, is there an easier way that instead of that nurse walking all the way down to the gift shop that you can 
automate that whole process and that whole delivery to that customer, making sure that they're still having that experience, but then also saving that nurse time. And it can go to even the very far extreme side of it in the case of if you're able to speak with multiple systems inside of that hospital, we would know who the nurse on call is for the code blue or, you know, an emergency situation. We'd know where they were based on their RTLS or their real-time locator tag that they would wear. And so how do we help them improve the time that they get from wherever they are at the time that that emergency code is activated to where that patient is. So it could be batch dispensing elevators. It could be helping them with wayfinding and digitizing the quickest route to get to that patient in some of these large hospitals. So for nurses, it helps them from a clinical workflow as well as their safety and just overall efficiency. I'm smiling ear to ear because that makes it so real. There was a spectrum there of something that might sound a little bit standard and mundane of getting the newspapers, but you can definitely also see how that frees up time to make the patient experience better. And then that critical wayfinding application in Code Blue, right across the board, you're still just using the same digital information. That's a really, really cool. It's all just connecting the parts and pieces and making it interact in a way that provides value to that nurse, patient, or the hospital facility folks engaged as well. That paints a really great picture for hospitals. I'd say one other thing going back to like the occupancy thing that we talked about earlier and, you know, the ability to turn on or off the air. But now if you can also on the facility layout inside of their building management floor plans, could you also now say this room is occupied or this room is vacant or this room is unoccupied at this moment, helping even the facility folks have a better understanding of can I go fix this or the housekeeping folks, I can go clean the room now because they're out at a procedure for the next four hours. So how far along that digital path is the hospital in scheduling and other things? And then how can we then take that and create through the automation systems and the facility infrastructure, a more efficient workflow for everybody involved? The digital evolution in hospitals is pretty fantastic. How do you feel about the commercial office building setting and, and what those experiences might be like? kind of going back to what we said earlier, Mm -hmm. it's a very different interaction and what's really most important to those spaces, right? So overseas, there was an example of building a very interactive, digitally forward commercial building and then being able to say, okay, as people having that space where you get assigned as you come in, not really having that permanent space, but from a hoteling perspective, how do you fill out the lower spaces, then move to the second floor, third floor, and so on. And then things like that, they're able to actually know where they're at, know where their colleagues are in those spaces, or even be able to better control your space, the temperatures you prefer in the spaces you're in, or being able to dim your lights appropriately. But going back to the hoteling now, so now you've filled up the second, third, and fourth floors, but you haven't used the fifth and sixth floors, so yeah. you're, you're not scheduling housekeeping, you're not scheduling some of the other aspects. So maybe it's an opportunity for that owner or the people occupying the space to actually move down and give away that sixth floor for somebody else to use. Yeah, you can use data in the commercial office building setting to start generating revenue in ways that I don't think people thought that you could use a building automation system for previously, which is super neat. And I would also recommend that the episode that we did with Deval Shah, the fifth episode, he does a fantastic job talking about how commercial office building is embracing some of this data. And another kind of theme of the season has been If you can make the environments better for commercial office workers, they can become more productive. 
that benefits your bottom line in huge ways. Yep, absolutely. One of the articles that caught my eyes here recently was, is conference room air making you dumber? Okay. It was on New York Times, I think, and it was all about, you know, all the CO2 and other things that are in the spaces that when there's large groups of people and the doors are shut or whatnot, how well and how well conditioned is that space and are we actually becoming dumber <laughs> during the <laughs> period of being in those spaces? And it gets into the whole concept of well buildings people are moving yep. towards. I actually heard Duvall once say that if you get to a certain PPM of CO2, it's the equivalent to having like three or four beers for the way that you think. <laughs> and I told him that sometimes I do my best thinking in those settings, but I still don't think that that's what we should be doing. Yeah, um, we can make an argument still for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been pretty fascinating that you've mentioned hotels as the background for some of the things that have been done in other spaces with what you referenced in commercial office buildings and also in the healthcare space. You want to talk a little bit about the hospitality setting and, and the occupant stakeholders in those sites? Most of us have, I'm sure, been to a hotel mm -hmm. and experienced a really good experience and sometimes not such a great experience. And some of that does deal with the bed, the thickness of your towels in the room and all the things that are kind of that space. But then we've also experienced those nights where you're like turning down the thermostat and you just can't get it to the right temperature to really sleep well, or just really even having the ability to have the right control in the space. You walk through the door and you have, you've used your phone for a card key and then all of a sudden you're sitting in your bed and looking for the phone, you know, next to the bed or the alarm clock or even the TV remote. So how can we have a more full experience while we're in that hotel room? And then in addition, you know, right now, all the time when you're at a hotel and you want to be not disturbed, right, you go up, you find the little plastic tag, and you move it from the back of the door to the front of the door. Yep. But is there not a way that that could be done through, similar to, like, going to a hospital experience, almost like nurse call button type things on the outside of the room where you have the lights that indicate the housekeeping or I don't need, you know, please do not disturb me right now. How do we start to automate and digitize some of those experiences as well in the right type of hotel application? I travel a bunch now and one out of every three nights maybe, I'll be in bed and I'll be like, oh no, did I put the tag on the door? And then you've got to go up and check. And half the time I already have. But yeah, I'd love to eliminate that. It sounds yeah, so... Yeah, have the little button next to the bed that you just hit it on and it <laughs> yeah. eliminates on your side and you know it's illuminated on the outside of the door too, you know? So there's little things like that that I think will continue to increase that experience and further, again, bring that IoT, whether it be even trying to figure out which light switch controls which light totally. in the room. is <laughs> often very confusing and yeah. challenging. Especially, you know, when you're stay staying at a higher-end hotel and you're like, really? Like, yeah. I can't even figure out how to yeah. turn on the light over my desk. They sound like small things, but I really also believe that if a hotelier were to nail that experience, they would totally get loyal brand advocate customers. Yep. Now, wouldn't it be cool, too, if in your preferences on your account, you're able to say, hey, you know, at home, I like my room when I sleep to be 70 degrees, and then that automatically just feeds into the automation system in your room. And if you're a loyal customer with which whichever of the brands, it just knows that Tyler's coming. Here's what temperature he likes his space when he's up. And here's what temperature he likes his space when he's sleeping. So how do we continue to take that opportunity to really enhance how easy it is to be away when it's so hard to be away from your home? Very true. 
Would you like to talk a little bit about educational settings as another example of some places where you might have different outcomes? And what we see inside of those segments, it's how do you take what's going on and what is the electricity or the building automation control system and help it to be part of the educational learning experience of those children in the school. And that can be things like benchmarking, like we talked about. So how do you benchmark elementary school A in comparison to elementary school B and how they're working together across the systems that they're a part of? So it's a different kind of, again, application. In that case, it's, again, for the comfort, and, but in, it's more about the education of those students in relation to what we do and how we bring about that experience for the students. How does a building owner or real estate developer benefit from providing building systems that focus on the specific needs of, of each building type's occupants? There's examples we've seen and have experienced around actually the value of that real estate okay. for that owner. And then also, how do you increase the safety of those occupants in whatever space it is? You know, one of the things with hospitals is just really the safety of the nurses and doctors in the ER settings. Because again, we don't have any control on the right. who's coming into those settings. So how right. do you really help to increase the safety for the occupants and the visitors as well as the folks who work there? And then really higher occupancy in the case of rental or leasing or hotels, how often folks are visiting and staying in those hotels. And then I would also say there is a value around guest and patient satisfaction. So I'll refer back to hospital segment in the fact that one of the things for Medicare and Medicaid dollars and funding is what they call their HCAP survey. And it's something that comes to you like two weeks after you've been in the hospital. And one of the main questions on that survey is all around, did you sleep well? Was it noisy during your stay at the hospital? And that can be something that, again, this is a place where integration and interoperability can provide value to that piece. So going back, so you have the age cap, which yeah. then defines how much Medicaid and Medicare money they get. And then if you can help to connect the sound levels during that patient's stay, so having noise monitoring or even tracking that noise monitoring in the room, and then providing a report at their discharge that says, hey, by the way, while you were here, you know, noise is very important to us. We think it helps in the benefit of your healing process to keep the noise levels down. So here's the industry standard. Here's where the noise was during your stay. We really, you know, want you to understand how much we value that. So now, even if it is above or below now at least they've heard the words that says that we care about yep. this part of your stay. So now when then they get that survey and they're like, well, a hospital's always noisy, right? You always have noise and something going off or on or things that are going on throughout the night. So at least now they've got that point that says, I really remember that I was below the industry standard while I was there. So I might rate them higher than if it was just no conversation at my time of discharge. So you're showing interest in the experience of the occupant directly. Understanding the segment, right, and how they're receiving money from external sources. Yeah, I think noise is an interesting example and one that I seldom really think about in the building automation context. But you could immediately think again about funding and you could think about students and not being distracted by noise, having better test scores, getting better funding from the state for their school district moving forward. Like you can Absolutely. see how that replicates across segments. So you really find that one that's a driving factor in it, like hotels, right, that energy savings in the room, and then you figure out, okay, well, now what would make that work in these other segments to bring that IoT and that interoperability to bear there? You find that first really valuable place to start and then grow from that. Yep. 
Are building occupants the greatest beneficiaries in all of this? No, I don't think it's just the building occupants. I think it's all the value that yep. the real estate developer or building owner or facility operator would get from this, being able to carry their phone as their toolbox, you know, having a great experience while staying at a place from an occupant's perspective, but then also as an employee or somebody who's there in a more consistent manner, like a commercial office space or a hotel worker or a doctor or a nurse feeling safe and comfortable in where they work is also very valuable. So I think across the board, it's important for all stakeholders in projects. The other thing that's also a beneficiary is the environment, right? So being able to better manage and be more efficient also brings about a lot of benefit to the overall environment and society as well. I love that point. Obviously, it needs to be made. Also, what I love about your response there is that we're talking constantly about occupant centricity and getting closer to the occupant and understanding the occupant. And it's very important. It's great to hear you discuss how that occupant benefit is spread out across all the stakeholders, because sometimes you could hear that and say, oh, well, I guess we're moving away from my interest as a building owner or as a facility manager, but really it spreads the wealth to everybody by focusing on that occupant. One other interesting example was we were interviewed for a project on the West Coast, a hospital, and after the discussion, we were selected and we went back in and had a follow-up meeting and shared more about the possibilities from an interoperability and whole infrastructure piece. And as we were going through the conversation, we asked them, you know, like, can you help us understand what really made us stood out and has developed this level of trust inside of this room? Yeah. And the, the hospital system representative said, during the meeting and the discussion we had, you were presenting to the facilities team, but you talked about our patients and our members of our hospital. And that was really important to us because, you know, the building automation system can, in some cases, be just looked at as a building automation system, but taking it to that next level and, let's say, moving up that Maslow's hierarchy of needs into the next level of evolution of a building automation system and how it applies to our patients and members was really critical to us. That's fantastic. I have one closing question that I've been asking to everybody, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Why are you excited to be a professional in the building energy technology industry? You know, as a young person, I was very much interested in the built environment and construction and how architecture and all the buildings looked and felt and everything. And, you know, I think that through my years, it's been, you know, you start with this love of the outside and the things in, in the space, but then you really begin to understand really how much that space and how you interact with it from a technology, a power, a building's control perspective impacts because, you know, I'm a structural engineer, so yeah. I designed the walls and the concrete and all those other things early on in my career. But it's a fairly static experience for me as an occupant with how yeah. I experience my walls and my floor. But that space around it and the technology and everything inside of it is what really kind of starts to set it apart. That's happening and evolving right before our eyes, and I agree. That's a really great reason to love being in the industry. Absolutely. Jana, thanks so much. You're an excellent guest. I've loved talking to you, and I appreciate your time. Thank you, Tyler. We'll talk to you soon. So there you have it. Maybe in the end, all of us sitting in rooms right now are nothing more than sweet or savory fillings packed inside a pouch of dough. Or maybe we're human beings 
living and thriving in spaces that better connect each of us as individuals in every environment we walk into thanks to digitization, regardless of the building function. You can be the judge of that. With innovation, whether culinary or internet-enabled, sometimes it's hard to tell. We close our first season next week by investigating another innovation which was clear as mud at its inception, but which today defines the lives we lead. And oh, what a world it inverted. We'll get rolling with discussions about energy, strategy, and innovation in the next Story Up. I am so excited to develop, produce, and host the Schneider Electric Next Story Up podcast, and most importantly, to share it with a listener like you, possessing the same interest and passion in promoting smart building services for the benefit of all. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I'm Tyler Hake. She's nine, and her current obsession is with poke. And I've been totally honest with her. Like, you realize this is raw tuna, right? She's yeah. like, I love it. Like, it's so good. Because we were in Hawaii in March, and there's this amazing restaurant called The Poke Shack. Okay. So we go there a couple different times and grab poke. And, you know, ever since we came back now, it's like, I want poke. I want poke. Poke shops are popping up pretty much everywhere, like in cities. I see them often now. I took my daughter. She and I went to Hamilton a couple of weeks ago yeah. when it was here in Dallas. I was like, where do you, you want to go to dinner or lunch before we go to the show? And she's like, yeah, I want to go to Poke. So we found a Poke shop there downtown. It was a, a little less traditional, and she just wasn't as much of a fan of it as she was the true shoyu-type Poke in Hawaii. Yeah, you've created a young food snob. That's awesome. <laughs> Total snob. <laughs> <laughs>